Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 33 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And there is currently a garbage truck driving up and down my street really slowly. So uh, I apologize about that ahead of time. Um, we were just, before we hit record, expressing how terrible the AQI is here in the PNW. Um, I was just on the phone, the phone with an athlete in San Francisco who they've been blessed with like a very minimal to no smoke season this year. Um, I joked in my Strava post that now everyone's at the gym with me, which is really exciting because I'm stuck to returning my run walk program uphill on a gym treadmill. And it's been kind of lonely the last like this week as I've gotten to return to run walk. But today I had friends in the gym because everyone was forced inside. That's nice. Yeah. Speaking of gyms, I did this like altitude vert challenge yesterday and I apologize if I cough a lot on you guys ears today, because we like basically went from zero feet elevation to simulated 9,000 feet in like 12 seconds and then had to hammer with no warm up 15 minutes on 30% incline. And I pretty much gave myself a cough. And so I've been hacking up along ever since <laughs> not do not recommend. <laughs> and she did not make herself tea, nor did we let her procure tea before we pushed record. So we're mean friends. <laughs> um, Hilly, you showed us your to-do list before yeah. we hit record as well, which looked uh, impressive and long. And I think in part, you're you're pretty busy these days. I feel like yeah. you're, uh, you're doing a lot, a lot of training, a lot of training <laughs> though, specifically, like I saw this crazy night run oh, recently. Like you what, saw that. what are you up to? <laughs> Well, our coach is um, getting me prepared for for my next race. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm busy, obviously, with training, but just a bunch of other stuff. Like, um, but it's nice. I like it. I think we all like it. Um, but specifically, this night run. Yeah, so I did a double skyline from. For those of you who don't live in Boulder, Colorado, I mean, this is probably like you know, <laughs> I don't even know why I said this, but um, uh, basically, just a long trail run, and it's really cool for my new place. Um, for I ran 35 miles starting at 5 p.m. to simulate the start of my next race because uh, I figure I should practice it like a little bit more. <laughs> um, and there's only half a mile of it is on pavement, so that was pretty cool. All trails. Are you allowed to say what you're racing next? Has the announcement yeah. become official? What it are you racing official. next? I'm racing the Ultra Trail Cape Town and I am maybe not popular opinion, but I'm really excited about it. I'm doing the 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 debut 100 mile uh, race there because I'm really curious and there's lots to learn about this distance. So hence the practice night start, all this stuff. I'm excited. And I, I can officially say that I will be there as well. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm going there to do commentary. Um, oh my gosh. So it's my, it'll, it'll be my eighth of nine races I'll have done commentary at in wow. 2022. Fun. So I think that's Holy crap. The, the voice of English UTMB adjacent race adjacent commentary. Um, but yeah, so I, I will be there. I leave the 18th. I'm going to be there in time for, uh, trail Tuesdays get to run with the community I'm so I've never been to Cape Town I'm so, oh, I'm so excited for you oh, I'm so excited I get on there I get there Monday uh, race week oh man yeah. this is gonna be cool and I mean speaking of ultra trail Cape Town the the 100k is stacked on both the men's and the women's field mm -hmm. and I know that um there's some pretty strong runners for the 100 milers too like Ragna yeah Ragna. it should be a good field yeah so it's gonna mm. be it's I think 
it's cool to see them um, get more races too, um, because I think it's been around for a while, at least 100K. And I think it's cool to see. Oh, they've expanded. There's like a 55K, yeah. a 23K. Exactly. And like what I'm selling everything out. It's really cool. Right. And what I'm saying is I think it's like all those are going to draw stout competition. So cool. Yeah, we have like a whole Adidas Terex team going over there. Ekaterina and Dima just got there. We had people that were in town from like Otter Trail. There's a cool New Zealand marathon length race that happened earlier this month. Um, so we've got a bunch, we've got a couple South Africans on our team, Bianca and Tony, and they are just like jumping for joy, getting to show off their home to us. And so um Tony's like, you can stay in my apartment. You don't have to stay in the race housing. Come stay with me. So I'm uh I'm excited to get to explore a brand new place. Oh, be so, so cool and i'll be able to run some so that'll be great yeah i'd actually spoke to the director after at western states and he was like you should come back this year and i was like oh maybe like that'd be sweet no <laughs> not yet the slow not return yet. it's oh, cool. that would have been fun i canceled all of my racing for the year for that same thing just <laughs> like you know what taking things off the calendar while i try to like figure out return from injury is you know it sucks but it's definitely definitely worth it mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have an insane episode for you. We got to record the other day with our really good friend, Ryan Montgomery, who we will introduce formally in a little bit. You'll get to hear him talk about um, inclusion, allyship, um, his work without, without trails, like really, really cool stuff. So um, bear with us. We'll bring you that interview in just a little bit. But first, um, and before we dive into our news and results segment of the show, we have to give a shout out to a company helping make this happen. And again, that is Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues, tried to put together a supplement routine to you know, nip it in the butt, and it cost him $100 a day. So created Athletic Greens to be an all-in-one supplement. It's been shown to improve sleep quality and recovery, and it supports mental clarity and alertness. And as I said last time, I can't keep Steven's hands off of it now, which is kind of annoying. My supply is dwindling. Um, but we want you to give it a shot. Athletic Greens wants you to give it a shot and you can do so over at www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. And there you um, can get a one year free supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Race <laughs> results. Um, and I thought this race might still be going on when we were recording because we were recording on October 20th. Um, Big's Backyard, the Satellite World Championships just finished up. Um, and it was bonkers. When I first wrote this note in, I was like, make note, go back and check results because this will have changed by the time you read it. Um, but two men from Belgium, they broke the hundred yard mark, yard being a loop, this four mile loop that you have to run. They ran 101 yards. Um, that's over 400 miles. And it's the furthest anyone has ever gone. And after 101, they both just agreed to stop together. So it was a draw. No one won, which is insane because the format is is that one person has to finish the last loop alone in order Mm -hmm. to be crowned the winner. And so it was kind of a gentleman's agreement to to bail out peacefully. It was really, really cool. It's like four and a half days, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Every hour on the hour, Mm -hmm. they run this loop called a yard. Um, It's a a little over four miles. The only breaks you get are the breaks in between every hour on the hour. It's a pretty intense format. Like the mental component of it seems wild. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever do it. One of my athletes just signed up for one in Ireland. (laughs) 
it's wow. bonkers. Um, <clears throat> Keely, did you put the note in about Iron Man? This Heck is a really yeah. cool, really, really, really cool result. Yeah. Um, previous this year, so the Iron Man Kona World Championships just happened in Hawaii, and the lady who won is named Chelsea Sodero, and she was a previous track runner. Actually, she came from running and actually got super burnt out and a lot of injuries from running. So she turned to cross training to start, you know, supplementing her running and slowly decided to, tr- to dabble in Ironman um, after, you know, starting in more like Olympic style racing, where it was a lot shorter of the triathlon. And she ended up winning the world champs and she it was her rookie year at Kona. So she'd never ran that oh, race cool. before. So she is a cool. cool mom as of a year and a half ago, had her child. And it's like, she's had this awesome like mindset shift that I think is really admirable because she said she used to put a lot of pressure on herself with her running and with her triathlon. And recently, like as she's had her child and realized like her world is a lot more fulfilled with her child and she puts a lot more of her like self-worth into her relationships and stuff. She's found that she's like able to let go of perfection with her racing and just start showing up as her best self and like really put this path forward for women and girls and showcase that showcase to her daughter that like women in this world can, you know, really achieve great heights by living with like passion and purpose and being true to themselves. And so I feel like her story is really, really cool. And it's awesome to see that she won her rookie year at Kona. Um, it has a very fascinating story and she's only the first or sorry, second of, of two winners who've ever won Kona who have children. So she's says second mom mama, power. Yeah. Second, second mama. Mom. Yeah. And, uh, the first American woman to win the world championships in 25 years. She lived in the Bay area for a long time. Actually, uh, she lives over in Reno. Now this is Chelsea Sidaro. Um, her husband is a a firefighter over in Reno. So they moved, moved over the mountain range, um, Hmm. to Nevada, but yeah, it was a Bay area. I've seen her out ripping on the road bike. There's another professional triathlete that she trains with a lot in the Bay area. And Hmm. you'd always see him out, out on the, like out on the Nicasio loop, just like Hmm. hauling on triathlon bikes. So, so, so cool. The Bay area, like lost their minds over her win, which is really like the community level support is pretty cool. Hmm. Um, otherwise kind of light on results. And that is because we are recording ahead of what is an accidental, like insane weekend of European racing. Um, because Transvolcania, which normally happens in May is happening in October this year. It was canceled due to the, um, eruption, the volcanic eruption last year. And then the previous year due to the pandemic, Transvolcania is happening this year. Grand Raid on Lower Union Island is happening right now, actually, as we are recording. Um, and then um, Grand Trail uh, Templier is also going on this weekend. Um, so really, really cool racing, all with very, very good fields. So um, that will all have finished up by the time you guys hear this. So if you have not seen the results yet, go find them because I'm sure just brilliant performances went down by everyone. <laughs> But now we turn turn our attention to the news, the news. I feel like Keely and I spend time every week just being like, what exactly do we want to just riff on <laughs> this week? And I, I had totally for the first thing that Keely put in here, I had like totally just like glazed over. I think that just shows my attitude towards this stuff right now. Just being like, uh, again, and uh, again, it's because there's been a, a like just a a smattering of doping violations in trail and road. Um, with particularly with like East Africans in like the last two weeks, like mm-hmm. every time I open Twitter, there's like a new, a new post about another, another athlete testing positive. So what, what exactly is going on there? Yeah. So, you know, I hadn't heard of this 
um, firsthand. I had heard the secondhand. So I was looking at Rachel Drake's Instagram the other day and I saw a post by a man named Andrew Blaines. And he is a Spanish runner who took second place this year at Sears and all. And he had posted about, you know, reflecting on that day with a recent news story telling him that the winner actually tested positive for a couple of banned substances and how he was reflecting on that day and realizing that he would never get that day back to be the one who crosses that line first. Um, But he has a lot of other reasons for racing. And so that ultimately he was happy that, you know, even though he didn't get the glory of that day, um, he is happy that there's one less cheater in the sport. And so Mm -hmm. Looking into it, I found that the 2022 Sears and All winner, Mark Kangango from Kenya, was provisionally suspended after testing positive for two banned substances. Um, and he'll now serve a three-year doping ban. Um, and kind of looking more into it, I found that, you know, the 2021 Boston Marathon winner, Diana Kipyoki and Betty Wilson, who also trains with her, were also banned because they use one of the same banned substances that Mark did. And so seems like recently, you know, a couple of athletes from that region are getting banned for similar substances. So it kind of brings to question, like, you know, what is, is this drug becoming the new trendy drug? A trend, a trendy drug. Mm-hmm. And, and dopamine, yeah. And this like, so interesting. Exactly. And this drug like is not, it's, it's very common in endurance sport, a corticosteroid, and it's been used in endurance cycling before. So it was common in Lance Armstrong's era. Um, and was very common in cycling until it's been, you know, more picked up. And now it's not as common because they've probably figured out ways to use something else. That's not as easily detected. Um, so yeah, I kind of just wanted to bring this up because obviously we've talked about drug testing and doping and trail running before how we don't have the best regulating body. And so I kind of wanted to gauge your guys' thoughts on, you know, do you see a change coming as the sport is becoming more and more monopolized and, with more and more money and prize money in it, the chance of doping is going to go high. Um, I actually saw a quote from the head of UTMB from 2017, who said she didn't want to sell out because she didn't want doping to come into the sport. But now, you know, UTMB is kind of selling out to Ironman and there's a lot of prize money involved. And so do you guys think that we might start seeing more of this in the sport and how do you feel like we should handle this? Yeah. I mean, I have a couple like thoughts just right off the bat. I mean, like from, like even I was actually having a conversation on the night run with my friend, Seth, who was a um, basically a World Cup, uh, like Xterra athlete, like he has multiple um, championships and a lot of second places, which came second to some people who were caught doping. Mm-hmm. And when he was saying one of WADA's official statements, and this is that someone that does have a, a governing body where WADA would knock on their door and show up, but, you know, unannounced, basically it, um, that you to share where you, where you were so they could test you randomly. Um, and basically that water was saying is like, okay, well, we're going to like, they're basically creating banned substance, like after they actually catch an athlete that's using it. So the testing is actually kind of behind. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, you're, this is why you see like athletes caught like maybe two years after the fact. And sometimes they're at the the case of triathlon, they weren't even reinstated. So, I mean, I think it is that is one issue. And then, but also the other thing is I don't think that doping is, is correlative to money in the sport. I think doping is going to be there no matter what. Um, I mean, I know it does take a lot of money to do it, but I think that doping is more correlative to human ego. And I think people want to win. And, um, so 
yeah, I think it's a problem. I think it has been a problem, but maybe we're just noticing it more now because people are paying more attention to trail. Yeah. And I think, but I do think having like a governing body and having, I think that while you're right, testing is oftentimes like behind the, like behind the science currently being utilized by these really savvy, larger governing bodies. I don't know that we'll see that same savviness in trail and ultra just because there isn't like a, you know, an NGO behind it type of thing. Um, like funding, funding that, um, funding being on the cutting edge of doping. Um, that being said, I do think like the, the quote unquote threat of out of competition testing, like makes people maybe just be more careful, right? Like, you know, I talked to athletes who were getting, who knew they'd probably get tested at, at, um, UTMB, mind you, quartz is not anti-doping and they pretend to be sometimes, and then they pretend to be about health, but then they try to threaten you with things. So quartz is not a solution here in the trail and ultra space. Like I want to say that as well, like a water based system, a governing body based system, I think is definitely a direction we should be headed in. And quartz is not that, um, but you know, like that means that we have to educate athletes being like, Oh, you're taking an iron supplement. Like, do you know the lot number of your iron supplement? Mm-hmm. So that when you get tested, you can provide the lot number of your supplements. Like, do you know what you're ingesting? Do you know what's on the banned list? Do you know that you're purchasing things that are, you know, safe for sport that have been tested because it's a completely uncontrolled environment otherwise. So I think mm-hmm. it's like athlete education. I think it's coming up with a governing body-based system in which we do have a recognized, a recognized, established out of competition testing pool. Um, those things are expensive to run. Um, the funding has to come from somewhere. Um, and having athletes and our companies fund it isn't, isn't great either because that's like kind of muddies the water a little bit, right? Like having that, having that overlap. So trying to figure out what that, what that looks like, um, has been in the works for a while, but you know, this, this is an example of doping's been there. Doping's always been there. There's a really great book, actually, if you haven't read it called, um, spitting in the soup and it's about the history of sport and the history of doping in sport and how we actually like sports started dirty because yeah. that was like that we like praised doctors for figuring out the like the right dose of rat poisoning to make an athlete run for 24 hours on an indoor track um for fun and so like oh my gosh we have decided that sport should be clean like as an afterthought of mm-hmm. you know of the the walls coming down and Eastern Germany using their athletes as propaganda and Mm -hmm. to make them win, you got a dope type of thing. So, Mm -hmm. or to guarantee a win, you got a dope kind of thing. So I think that there's a lot of historical context in there too, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm unfortunately not surprised when we see these things coming up, but interestingly with like, with the, um, with Kenyans, with Ethiopians, with these Eastern Europe or not Eastern European, Eastern Africa, East African groups, like out of competition testing might be really hard, if not impossible in some of these regions. Mm-hmm. I lived in Montana while I was part of USADA's like out of competition testing pool for biathlon. And like, you know what? They only tested athletes in Montana once or twice a year. And we knew that they were coming because they came to Montana and tested all six of us at the same time, you know, <laughs> like it's not, that's not a great out of competition testing. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's not random in that sense. And so um, trying to figure out how that is actually put into action in a sport like trail and ultra becomes a super interesting, expensive mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. But that's my, that's my rant, I guess. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll continue to rant as the sport develops. Cause I'm sure, you know, courts is going to come out with some new policies for the next year and 
hopefully there's some some response to this if it does continue to trend. You mean yeah. no inhalers? I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm I mean being anti anti really. athletes with chronic medical conditions. Yeah, I'm no, kidding. It's, we're not biased. We're not. No, no, we're not biased. They're fun rabbit holes. They're fun, fun rabbit holes, and you've heard us rant about them before, and we'll probably continue to do so. But and we'll link to long. that pod in the in the show notes. <laughs> you guys missed it. It's a funny one. It's it's good. We weren't. It wasn't heated at all. Um, something else that I think is quite heated. And I actually don't know. I was like going back and forth through things, trying to figure out the current state of the story because I don't think anyone mm-hmm. knows what's happening. Um, and that is Elna's um, Rekabi. Rekabi, I think that's how you say um, their last name. Iranian um, climber. Uh, this made global global news. I think um, broke a hijab rule where she didn't she didn't wear a head covering in um, competition at the Asia Games in Seoul. This past week, um, it, she's a climber. Um, she was then missing for a while. And then there were reports that her passport had been confiscated. And then there were reports that, you know, she had made it back to Tehran and it looked like she had. And like there were there was a group waiting there because she's kind of become this icon by like making this statement a protest. But then under duress, it seems she's made a claim that it was an accident, that like she got called up suddenly to to come climb um and didn't have like didn't have her head covering or head covering had fallen off um and it seemed like that claim was made under duress but it sounds like this has continued to be followed closely by the international olympic committee and the international federation of sport climbing but this just like speaks to a whole heated like heated form of protest that is like i mean i think palpable in the global news space right now coming out of iran Mm-hmm. So I think people are worried about our safety, worried about our whereabouts, um, worried about kind of the control of the situation, um, worried that it might be more dangerous for her to be home than it would have been for her to stay abroad. Um, so yeah. it, it's I don't think we I don't think we know it. And there it's very likely that things will have come out about this story. Again, we're, we're recording on October 20th, so things might have changed by the time this comes out next week. Um, but it's something that I think we'll all continue to follow closely just because it is. I think it's a very, um, I don't know, these stories where there is an intersectionality between sport and and unrest, be it political, be it um, women's rights, be it, you know, kind of be it environmentalism, et cetera. Like, I think that pulls extra at our heartstrings because we see how the narrative is in, like intertwined. Um, and so I think we'll like we'll continue to be thinking about her a lot as we follow the news closely and and hope that she's safe, that she truly totally. is safe at home. Yeah, and that's scary. Yeah. And like it's it's like sport is amazing because it can be this platform for change. Like it's used in the Olympics and all sorts of things as ways for athletes to stand up for what they believe in. Um so it's it's sad to see that it could be, you know, turned towards her as a negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on more positive news in regards to female athletics, um, I texted this to, to Keely and I just said, heck yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was this article that came out of that stated that women's sponsorship is up 20% in 2022 broadly, um, including Alex Morgan being the most endorsed, one of the, one of the most, she's the most endorsed female athlete, um, of 2022, but also, um, the like one of the most endorsed athletes across the board. And so the article read sponsorships with women grew 20% year over year across the across major US sports. Again, it's like women's golf, women's soccer, women's basketball, women's tennis, um, top European soccer leagues for women, um, including things like netball. 
as well. And so just really, really cool to see that the sponsorship game has been increased dramatically in the category of, of women's sports specifically. Um, and then this tracks with um, stuff I've read about um, NIL sponsorship and NIL sponsorship is, is how NCAA athletes are now allowed to have monetary sponsorship from companies. And NIL stands for name, image, and likeness, because I had to look that up because I was like, what is nil? What is a nil sponsorship? But um, women, yeah, nothing, no sponsor. You're an NCAA athlete. No, but they, um, I remember having to be so careful at the clearinghouse and NCAA compliance going through school because no, no Nordic skier is like buying their own skis. Like it's really expensive. Like every collegiate skier is on, you know, some sort of deal where they get a new pair of skis every year from Solomon or Fisher or Rossignol. Um, and so nil being a thing has been really, really interesting coming that coming forward for NCAA stuff. Um, and women have been outperforming men like across the board in that as well, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's crazy. Like when they were looking at all of the sports across uh collegiate sport, they found that in the top 10 list for NIL earnings, six of the top 10 were women's sports, which is so cool. And like women's basketball being the top performer, which again, is like really cool kind of tracks with how the WNBA has also been really enforcing equal pay and increased pay for their women. And so it's really cool to see. We love it. We love it. It's been, I feel like every time I get like a sports wire women's sports update, which I feel like is beyond weekly at this point. Um, it's like Nike, you know, Nike announces signing these athletes, you know, Puma announces signing these athletes. And a lot of it's about these um, NIL or nil sponsorships, NCAA athletics, which I think is really cool. That was not around when I was in college. So that's, I think that's, it's, it's great. I mean, I feel like athletes are collegiate athletes in particular have been, um, yeah. you know, like, taken advantage of for a really, really mm -hmm. long time. Yeah. I just really hope that this increased incentive to, to play sport at a university, like still increases the athlete's incentive to graduate with a degree mm -hmm. and not necessarily, um, you know, leave to go professional full-time early because they're like, Oh, well, I'm already bringing in this money. Like I could just make more. Um, just cause yeah. like, you know, I mean, you can't play sport forever. That's a known fact. So, right. And that was my, degree, that's my concern with it too. Right. But, I mean, but how many think... athletes went pro instead of finishing college because they weren't, they couldn't make any money off of their name, image, or likeness as an NCAA athlete before how many young track and field athletes or basketball players or baseball players, um, like went pro during college for that reason, like left school to, yeah. to a lot do, of men do a lot of men mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Right? Do that in football. But I don't know baseball. if I agree with that either. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I'm but, just saying, but like, I also get it. Maybe nil sponsorships mm -hmm. keep those athletes in college for four years and, and get them to graduate. Right. Yeah. Get them through that business degree mm -hmm. or marketing. They degree. don't have to worry about the money as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like looking at it that way too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's my glass half full. Look at it. <laughs> it's a great look. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One last thing before we get to our interview with Ryan, that is, we have to give a big shout out to another amazing sponsor of ours, The Feed. We love The Feed. I said that every single week. I think we actually, like, I think you guys love The Feed too. We're getting some great feedback. Waffles are flying off the shelf as far as I know. <laughs> Once again, The Feed is that one-stop shop for all your nutrition needs. 
It was built as a way to try new products and diversify the nutrition you consume during your activities without being married to one flavor, right? How many of you have ever bought a 20, a 20 pack of one gel flavor and been cursed trying to finish it for months <laughs> and months and months? Um, no longer do you have to do that. You can buy, you know, a single serving of something, or you can buy a whole lot of something. And nicely, you know, you can mix and match, right? You can get that scratch hydration, those goo, you know, liquid gels, the as many bobo bars or Joji bars as you want. Um, <laughs> and my favorite, obviously, baffles all in one box instead of having to order from all sorts of different sources. So we have a new, a new code for you all. We had a code issue before, but if you'd like to try putting together your own personal best ever snack box, head over to thefeed.com slash trail society. There you can claim a free $15 feed credit that you can use towards your first purchase. So again, head over to thefeed.com slash trail society to claim $15 in feed credit. Woohoo. I did it. I'm still, I'm still loving the waffles. I got more and I will say too, like, actually I use my feed credit this month to, um, to buy a Theragun. I'm going to take it with me to, to ultra trail Cape Town. So like, Sick. so like what Corinne is saying, it's not just, it's not just like the food that we're eating during our, during our activities or the things, the supplements that we're ingesting pre or post exercise. It's really everything. I actually got a little like new bi- little mini bike bag for my gravel bike and, um, nice. and a Theragun. So yeah. yeah. Steven, um, Steven became obsessed with that little water bottle. They sent us that little, like 400 milliliter water bottle. Like he loved it so much that he made me use, you know, $9 of our, of my feed allowance to uh, purchase him a matching set. So then that's what he runs with, like in his, in his hydration <clears throat> vest, he like loves this little 400 milliliter water bottle. So, so much more than nutrition, tons and tons of options. So go check it out. But now we get to introduce the star of the show, the star of the hour, really good friend of all of ours, um, a teammate actually with Keely. Um, and we got to sit down with him and talk all about his past, his history, his place in the community, everything that makes him happy and sad and how we can all be better allies. And I'm wondering, Keely, if you can give us a little formal intro for, for Ryan. Sure. Yeah. So Ryan is a professional trail and ultra runner for ultra running and he says he loves running the hundred mile distance, the best, which I think is absolutely crazy, but <laughs> he has placed second at the desert solstice 24 hour, which is even more than hundred miles. Um, third in the hundred mile event and has the unsupported FKT on the Wonderland trail, which is like over 100 miles with 35,000 feet of climbing around Mount Rainier, which is in the Pacific Northwest. It is an, a gnarly trail. It's relent unrelentingly up and down. And he has that unsupported FKT, um, which is just awesome. Um, and he is a queer and gay ultra runner who focuses on increasing diversity and acceptance to the LGBTQ plus community in the ultra and trail running space. And so I was really excited to bring him on because we got to un- better understand his background, how he found running, and then also understand all of the different things he's trying to implement in the trail and ultra running space to, to be more inclusive and to increase participation by members of the LGBTQ plus community. And so we'll cut to his interview now to hear from Ryan himself about his background and everything that's really exciting in this space to him. Uh, 
I'm Ryan Montgomery. Um, I identify as a queer professional trail runner and ultra runner. Um, I live in the middle of nowhere in Utah near Park City. Um, I feel like I'm trying to like redefine like outdoor spaces that are like welcoming for other people, um, you know, similar to like myself in the queer community. Um, and I like to run really long races. I really like the hundred mile distance and I love the experiences and learnings that come through my sport. I grew up in a very like stifled um, environment that didn't allow me to be authentic to who I am today. You know, I didn't feel safe to come out as, you know, a queer person. I didn't really feel safe to have those conversations with like the most important people in your life, i.e. my mom and like sisters and other, you know, trusted people. Um, but I feel like when I was a kid and like growing up, like running and like, especially running in like nature and like being on a trail, I just felt like I could be myself. Um, I remember like this, this like distant memory of when I used to live in Alaska, which also is a whole nother story. Um, when I lived in, in middle school and I remember like being on this trail all by myself. And I remember just like dancing, like on this rock and like watching the, like the, the, the water hit the rock and I'm like all by myself. And I'm like, it's just the animals listening to me. And it's just me here. And I like, feel like I can embody myself, like when I'm in these spaces. Um, and I think as I've gotten more into trail running and more into ultra running and being in the sport where you're literally out there for a day, <laughs> you have a whole day to express your emotions, to feel everything, to meet all these people. You have moments to dance and to cry and to laugh. It like, I felt like the full Ryan was able to come out. Um, and it was like those moments where I like felt so connected to who I am and my identity that it became like so attractive to me. And like, I, I, for sure, I think that's what's catapulted me into ultra running like that, that connectivity of like my identity. And I think it has like pulled it out of me as well, because I think there's not a lot of, you know, queer identifying people in our sport, like on my hand, I think I can name maybe like two or three other professional ultra runners that are visible, um, you know, in the LGBTQ community. But as I've been, as I've been getting more comfortable, like being in my own skin and being visible and being that person, what I'm learning is that there's actually a ton of us out there. Um, you know, I always like to say like, everyone's a little queer in like their own way. Um, and so there's like a huge demand to find and like to have like this visibility, um, you know, out there. So I'm like really excited that ultra running like brought me to that space. You talk about this moment at the Western States training camp where you passed someone and, and you overheard this person say like, oh, I just got passed by a dude with nail polish on. And that's not very, that's not very open or very welcoming. And I'm wondering that can't be a standalone experience for you. Like, while I think all of a sudden we're, we are recognizing that while there only, there's only a couple professional runners who I think are kind of openly being like, this is who I am. This is, um, I'm representing this community. We know that there are so many people in our sport that do, that, that are part of that community. And so I'm just wondering, like, you know, how, like how that experience made you feel, you know, what, what reflections on that experience have kind of brought out in you and then how are we you know how as a community can we confront that kind of attitude i feel like 
it brought back a lot of experiences in my life where I had to chameleon. I use the word like chameleon as a verb because it's like what I think a lot of people do to be safe in certain environments. Like I've always showed up as like, I'm very straight passing, you know, I can be as straight as you want. Right. And, you know, I also have a lot of privilege of like being able to, you know, present that way. And I think when that person like shared that comment, it like made me feel like very vulnerable. It like brought up all the reasons for why I chameleoned in certain environments in the past. And it like resurfaced all these fears I had for, you know, why it took me so long to come out and why it's really hard to express myself. Um, so that's how it made me feel. Um, but, you know, Ryan 2.0 now understands where he's coming from that person <laughs> and they're coming from a, a, a limited point of view. They're coming from a point of view where they haven't had exposure of, you know, other types of diversity. Um, and so I get that. And it almost, as I've processed it, like on podcasts and with friends, it gave me like this re sense, this re this new sense of like invigoration to like be more explicitly like not in people's face, but like just more visible because it's through those experiences that like now that person has seen that. And if it happens again, they have context. It's like now more normalized. And like, that's the whole point of like us being out in the community and like being vulnerable is so that we can make changes. I th I feel like it like highlights like so many other issues about like, oh, trail running, you have to look a certain way and you know, you have to be a certain way and you have to like have this certain type of gear. It's just like, again, kind of like alienating like a whole community that needs to be a part of this. Um, and so I think like what I'm trying to think about is like, what, like, what are words that we can use that can be more inviting? What are spaces that we can foster that like make it feel inclusive? Because already there's like barriers for some of these people. So like, we don't need any more of that energy <laughs> to prevent people from being in the space. Because if we don't, it's just going to continue to be like male dominated and white dominated and cisgendered straight dominated, you know? What I think is really interesting about Ryan's story and wall our our unique experiences are not the same as, as his experiences. I think that they're, was a moment in everything he said where, where we could feel like, Oh, I've, I've felt that thing before I've had to make myself appear different or, or fit this mold to be accepted, be it in the workplace or um, in, I don't know, think back to high school, right. Or, or college being a freshman in college and trying to find your footing in a new group. Like, I think that is a lot of those things are, are universal, but still very different. And I'm wondering if you, if those things came up for you, um, listening to Ryan talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I've thought of so many different scenarios, but one that just came into my head was one of my first trail races ever. I think I passed like two or three men and they always had to be like, Oh, you're a pretty young girl. You should probably slow down. Like you're definitely not supposed to be up here. You're running a little bit too fast. And like, I continued to just keep running. And I think it was like, they were trying to make me feel out of place and not like I belonged there, but like I did. And I feel like you start to doubt yourself when someone does question why you're in a certain spot. But if you stay true to yourself, like it's, you got to keep going. Cause you got to, you got to stay true to yourself. Yeah. I mean, 
Definitely. I mean, I think it was just so nice listening to, he's just so well-spoken and I think it just explained everything so well. Um, but I think the main, the main, one of the main things that I was taking away too, is that, you know, it's like seeing yourself in, in the community, like seeing someone like you that's represented is so powerful. And, um, I mean, I think it actually, it, it helped me kind of get into the space of trail running too. It's like seeing people like me, um, run. And that's like, you know, we're, we talk about this, like women in the sport. Right. Um, and even though we're like three white women, right. It's like, it's still, that's, that's as powerful and that's how I can relate. And, you know, just like seeing how, he was describing his experiences and like the growth that now we're seeing in trail. I think it's really, it's really positive. And like what he's doing is, um, I don't know. I just, it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah. I think it's a really important reminder to recognize or, or at least try to recognize where people are coming from. Right. Like, I think it's really easy to be at a group run or to be at, you'd be at a start line or in a race environment or just running, running along your trails. Right. And and maybe you have a positive or a negative interaction with this individual or no interaction, right? But how you kind of reflect on them and they reflect on you, you know, trying to take a moment to to recognize like where they come from, what they're about, who they are. You know, we don't understand everyone's everyone's personal experiences, but I think it's a good reminder just to be to be really open and to not like to like to go into these situations or go into these these races, group runs, training camps, et cetera, just like with no agenda right? With no preconceived notions of other individuals, be it, be if they look like you or if they don't. Um, and I think that's really, that's really, really important. And I think it's something that we probably get to gloss over a lot. Yes, there aren't as many women in the trail and ultra world, right? But we can kind of safely sail through being, particularly being white women in the sport. We don't have to think about how, how someone else might feel in that same environment very often. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, having someone to at least look up to, to realize that, Hey, there is a woman in the sport, like, therefore I can do it. If you don't have that to look up to, it's going to be really hard to get into the sport. And so I think he really articulates this really well talking about barriers to entry for a lot of people of this community, where there are a lot more barriers to entry than we think it's already hard enough for them to get into the sport. And so we really need to start thinking of these other barriers and, he really talks us through that and how his group and how he is personally working to change that. So let's um, hop back over to that interview and hear him talk us through that. I have always been able to have resources of people at my fingertips because I've always been a runner and I've known trail runners. And so having someone take me on a trail literally taught me where trails were and like where I can access them. And I think we forget that as like daily runners on trails. Um, but I recently like did a group run and talking to some of these people saying like, I don't even know where to go. Like I, do I open up an app? Do I find like, I, how do I learn this information? Like, so going back to like the basics of how do we educate people? Um, that's a huge one. And then I also just think there's like a massive like financial barrier to people. I I honestly was in the Headspace team that I'm like, oh, you just get shoes and you like run. I always have been in that Headspace, but then I like look at my closet and I have a billion shoes. I have a billion of these things. I have a billion water bottles. I have all the nutrition I'd ever need. And then I think about like, wait, like not everybody has that same resources that I do. And so 
um, I just went through like this massive scholarship application for my running retreat that I hosted. We're able to fund 20 scholarships, full scholarships for people, which was awesome. But as I read through some of these, these applications, like people cannot get to the places that we recreate every weekend because we have so much privilege and we have so much like resources available to us to enable us to be successful. And so it's just like, it almost, it honestly like ruined me because it made me think like how much more work we have to do because just being visible um, and educating people isn't enough. Like we actually have to provide resources to people through like programming. There's a statement I learned a couple years ago that says the revolution will be relational, um, meaning that we make change through relationships. How that happens is like hyper-local and it's anchored on community. Um, because, you know, if I was living in San Francisco and didn't have a running community, I wouldn't know where to go. I wouldn't know what the opportunities were. I couldn't carpool. Um, I didn't. I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a priority. Right. Um, and so by having those hyper-local opportunities that are focused on those local community members, having opportunities to be involved, get to know people so you can like share resources, I think is how we like really change that because then, then for those local community members, they understand that, oh, it is accessible. And there's like a safe space for me. I already know people. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to feel supported too. OutTrails is an ally and LGBTQ plus community, um, you know, advocating diversifying, you know, trail running, um, inclusive of hikers and trail running. So the mission is trail focused. And for years, I've been wanting to create a community in this realm, but the 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 ex consultant in me and like the corporate side of me is like I have to build a pretty strategy and I have to plan all this and I want to like get alignment with all these people and then all my friends have been telling me like Ryan the world is not going to wait for you you just got to do it just do it and you're going to figure it out <laughs> and so this year I was like I have this vision I have this vision of this retreat of all these people coming together and I'm just going to do it and I'm going to blast it out and I'm going to try to find funding. If not, so be it. And so the idea really came together and we identified a place. I found a, a logistics company, Aspire Adventure Running, to be like all my operations, which they're awesome. And then I started like asking all my sponsors and other people to be like knocking on the doors. Hey, can you fund this? Like, are you interested in funding this? $5,000 here, $2,000 there. And we got to the point where we're able to fund like 20 people at full registration costs. So like truly eliminating barriers to entry. We did a whole application process, build a committee. Um, I got an all queer staff. And then just like two weeks ago, we hosted this. And it was honestly the most beautiful space I have ever been in. Um, because, you know, I have a lot of queer friends, but I don't have a lot of trans friends. I don't have a ton of like non-binary friends, but to see like the richness of this environment that was created and how everyone had another person like them was so empowering. The last night or the last day we had some, you know, reflection time of like opening up the space of like, what are things that you learned? And like, what are things that you're taking away? And 
I, I, there was this moment where there's uh, a lot of like trans masculine um, members of the community where they said like on day one, I stood with like four other people that had a top surgery like me. And we like stood with our surgical marks um, without our shirts off. And, and like, you might think that's like weird or like something small, but like these people have never had that before in that quantity. They've never had that supportive space before. And it like really hit me hard that like, this is what it's all about. It's like helping people feel safe in the outdoors and it's creating like a loving environment. And like, everyone was obsessed with the environment that created, like, I now feel pressure to like 10 exit next year. So I'm like, now that like people are looking for out trails to like create this experience because like no one else is doing it. So like, I got to do it. Um, not me, but like our team, our collective team. And I think that's, that's what my my goal was going into this is that I need to like build more of this community that can then be the the branches locally to do this because I can't do this myself. I would it would be wrong of me to do this myself. Like I need hyper local people to be this community builder. Um, and so that's like really where we're evolutioning to right now. And so that's really exciting. Um so in order to be like very intentional, I'm still learning to do this as like becoming a community organizer. And something that I've been learning about the LGBTQ community is that there's a lot of intersectionality of this. You know, queer, trans men, trans women, non-binary, the um, BIPOC, all intersecting with like this really rich community. And so when I was doing the scholarship for this, I was really like thoughtful about like, hey, I need to make sure that this doesn't become like an all white space or like an all black space and not like an all, um, you know, gay men space. And, you know, so there's a lot of different tangents that could inherently like it. There's a lot of like opportunities where this space could be created in a non-welcoming way for a lot of different groups in the queer community. So it's like a very hard mission to accomplish. Um, but the way I did that is like looked at all these different communities and like ensured that I had equal representation among all of them. And like some things fell through the cracks, but you know, the feedback that I was getting is like, we actually were able to create, you know, a really meaningful space for every single one of those intersectionalities, such as transgender, non-binary, people of color. Um, so we're improving and it's like, I'm learning, but it, it requires like that next level of like thought and intention about like, am I actually creating a space for this person? Is this space actually being created for them? Yes or no. Um, and I think that can give you like more insight and like what actions you need to take next. There were about 20, um, scholarship funded participants. And then we had about 16 self-paid as well. So it was like a little bit of a mix. I had one participant that funded two scholarships and they still came um, to the running retreat two weeks ago. And they said like, Hey, I want to fund more. Like this was so impactful. It is worth like my extra money. So I'm, I'm listening to that feedback and it's, I need to find a way to like accept those dollars somehow. <laughs> We're going to do a V2 of out trails at Mount St. Helens again. Um, we learned that the space that we were at, which is the learning and science center, the Institute there, which by the way, if you haven't visited, you should go. It's really awesome. We kind of like took over the whole building. It was really awesome. So we like made it this totally safe, like queer building. Um, and I think we can definitely put like 
70 people in that building next year. <laughs> Whoa. So I think we want to like just expand it and like make it bigger. Um, because if only 45, 50 people were able to like create that space, imagine what like 80 would look like. That would be epic and like so impactful. Um, so that's going to happen. And then I think we're planning to do um, a lot of like hyper local group runs. Um, so I'm going to be doing some in the fall, um, doing one tomorrow, actually in Salt Lake. And then we're going to do one in S Seattle here soon. Um, and then I think what I'm learning from, from feedback from this render retreat is that because the intersectionality is so broad among LGBTQ people, I think we need to do like a trans, like gender, you know, running retreat. And I think we need to do one for like our lesbian friends and our gay friends and our non-bi. So I think we need to you know, have some like hyper-focused community ones as well. So I'm kind of playing that out. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to, I think we're going to just do it all and like try to see like how much we can do <laughs> because I think there's a huge demand. I love how Ryan right away mentions this idea that we're all like, oh, running so simple, right? I just put on a pair of shoes and head out the door and I don't have to worry about anything else. It's cheap. It's easy. It's accessible. And then, you know, at the same time recognizes right away that, well, maybe you need many pairs of shoes and maybe you need a hydration pack and some safety equipment and maybe a good jacket. Because if you're like me, you live in the PNW and it's about to get really, really wet and cold. Or, you know, you want to have the gear that everyone else has and then race entries on top of that, right? Like we think of running as being very, very accessible, but there are barriers to entry for everyone. Yeah. And I feel like I've noticed this recently when I post about certain shoes, I'll get responses back from some of our followers or listeners and they'll be like, you know, I really like that shoe, but like, I can't afford it there's no way I can shell out that much money on this shoe. And, you know, I work as an EMT or I work as this and it's just not reasonable. And so, yeah, I think that barrier is really important to think about. And then I also thought that the way that they're giving out scholarships is really awesome because it's going to be lowering that barrier for some people, but then, you know, maybe we do lower that barrier for some people, but then how can we make, you know, the sport of ultra and trail running just more welcoming in general, right? Because you might be able to lower the barrier, but if it only takes one negative experience for someone to not even care if the barrier is lowered, right? Like we might bring them into a race and increase scholarships and get them to come in for less money um, or less time at commitment or whatever. But if they don't have a great experience there and they don't see anybody else that's like them and they don't feel welcome, like they're not going to want to come back. Yeah, it's not it's not fun being the only of anything. At at an at an event, you can give out free entries, but if you're the only person of color there, that has to feel incredibly isolating. And and you know, I think Ryan mentioned this. You know, talking about learning a lot about putting on out trails, right, and about about trying to trying to create a holistic community through those sponsorship applications and still kind of messing, messing it up and, and still not like being able to create that space where everyone had, had people like them there. And I think that that is a really, you know, interesting dichotomy of like, how do we create this holistic community? How do we lower the barrier of entry? How do we make people feel welcome? And at the same time, like someone always has to be the first and being the first of anything isn't very fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I really want to get 
kind of like a collaboration going here in Portland, I know I'd asked Ryan for his opinion around like how the best way to navigate, you know, combining two groups that might not normally combine for a run or that kind of stuff. And I think he definitely offers a lot of really insightful advice about how, you know, allies can help or how race directors can help or how coaches can help. And I think we should cut back now to let him talk us through some ideas for us to really tackle these issues together and to help increase the participation in the sport by this community. There's a lot of different ways what like allyship is going to look like, but I think it like takes, it requires you to like sit for 30 seconds and being like, what are privileges that I have? And like, what are things that I can influence and what are my skills? And now like with that in mind, like, what can I actually do now? Does that look like going to a rally or does that look like donating? Does that look like you know, consulting on the side. Like if you come from extreme privilege and have the opportunity to fund scholarships, yeah, like that's your way of being an ally. If you have a podcast, Corinne Keeley, Hillary, um, a great way to like, to ally is to elevate other voices and look at more intersectionality of women and other other issues in our sport. Um, I think another great example is, you know, if you are like a wealth of knowledge, you know, there's, there was like some participants at this camp that had so much knowledge of like how to ally trans people that I had no idea, like their way of allyshipping me is just sharing that knowledge and giving feedback and me listening. I think the easiest thing to do is like, number one, we need to learn from these other communities that we support. And I think it's really easy in our trail communities to get sucked into like a very homogenous world of like, oh, I'm like running with all of like the Park City moms every day. This is, I'm I'm projecting my own world actually right now. <laughs> um, but I'm run with all the Park City moms and like we talk about these things, but then I'm like, that's like my only source of information. I have to make sure I'm diversifying this. Right. Um, so I think really easy, easy things that you could do is there's so many voices out there that you can learn from, you know, reach out to people. I think people that are in like the people of color, BIPOC, queer spaces, Asian, um, cultures, like want to like share with like their feedback to you. If you represent like a race or a media company or some other, like just so go about like with the intention of like wanting to learn, like listen to podcasts, listen to like Alison Desir. She just like is launching this new book. Um, I had the privilege of like interviewing her for an article I wrote and she's a wealth of knowledge. Like just following her Instagram can help you learn so much about advocating for people of color in running. And so um, when I hear that question of like, how do we like start making progress? And like, how do we know what we need to focus on? Like, you just need to like learn from these people because naturally I think you'll know what to do once you hear those stories. I can actually tell you a feedback point that I have learned two weeks ago at my running retreat that relates to people of color um, because I'm still learning um, as well. And something I asked in my scholarship application was ethnicity. Um, however, because I am white and still learning and not, not knowing how to best advocate for this community is that I did not break down BIPOC by brown and black and even other more intersectionalities to that. 
So the outcome of that is that we had a lot of, on paper, we had a lot of BIPOC representation. However, it was very brown and not black. Um, so we had technically two scholarship um, recipients that were black. One could not come. So it resulted in one, only one black, you know, trail runner at this event, which was super unfortunate. And it was really, you know, like that is just like a hard reality for anyone that, you know, is singled off, especially when it's supposed to be the most inclusive space. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned from that is like, it requires like that second and third level of like questioning of intentionality. And can, I, I honestly, I made the mistake of not consulting like uh, a person of color to make sure I like, I, 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 I had a crack and I didn't see it in my application, you know? So, um, and I'm, I'm just like trying to like, I'm trying to put myself in this situation of like, imagine if you were like the one of the kind among like hundreds of people, like imagine what that feels like. Like it probably doesn't feel good. It probably doesn't feel safe. It probably doesn't make you want to like, just be bubbly and share about yourself. And so just like trying to put yourself in that scenario, I think can be quite motivating. I think I've recognized that it's really hard for me to expect people to change overnight. And so that's why it's like that constant like accountability of like, Hey, by the way, have you considered this? And so that's why I love it when people are like rally crying all the time, because I think like in any type of social change structure, you need the people that are like burn down the building. Right. But you also need like the, the mediator. Right. And you like need those roles as well. So we need all of those people to play roles. So we understand that you have time, you need time to change. Um, and it, any type of movement is in like the right direction and it should be celebrated. I would say, you know, something that I really liked that, um, mammoth, um, trail fest did is like when I was working with Tim and like Tim was trying to promote it is that I think he saw that my community represented the queer trail running community. And so he said, Hey, you know, I have X amount of spots for this community, Hey, Ryan, can you promote it? And let's give it to only this community. So like, that's a really thoughtful, intentional thing that you can do that like creates a space. That's like step one of like 10 to like get to like the end goal, which is like creating an inclusive space. But like step one is like acknowledge that, you know, you need to create the space. And then step two is like, how do you build that? I've um, done this for races um, many times so far, including Havelina, looking at their, you know, new policy for non-binary and trans athletes. Um, but I'm not a consultancy. And also it's not my role to like do that <laughs> as a queer person. But I think there's just like this grassroots kind of way of working of like, oh, I know Ryan, right? Like, let me just ask Ryan this question. And I think that's okay to some effect, but I never want to feel like I'm like being abused or like I'm being like used essentially um, because that is like a very valuable service that is being provided. Um, so there's actual like consultancies that do this. Um, I think there has been like a large like nonprofit consultancy that has been working with the New York City Marathon and New York City Roadrunners on like their policies. And so there's actual like official orgs that do this, you know, but it's hard because, you know, as like a race director in, and you're not really making money, it's like, I can't afford that. And so that's where I come in and being like, I get you, <laughs> let me help you out. Um, 
but I think it's just, you need to be mindful of like those requests. Um, I think most people are like willing to help, um, including my own community. People have mentioned that they want to help me in like my own policies and my own structure of like out trail events, which I need to prove on. Um, so we're all trying to help each other. And I think that's like the spirit I'm trying to embody, but I would say, just be mindful of like how much you ask, um, because you don't want to feel like it's extractive, right? If you wanted to reach out to a group and like do a cross pollination event, I would, I would hope other interest groups would celebrate that because they would see the value of like intermingling other communities so that we can learn and like build that glue together. Um, because, you know, if there's like a black running group in Portland, like having them interacting with others could be a great way to like learn other stories. Um, and maybe there's some, some level of like education component to the group run or like storytelling as well before, after the run. Um, so I'd say your feeling of like, being insecure about that is valid. Um, but I would say like lean into it and just like share your true intentions about it. Being like, Hey, I think by doing this, it would yield like really great learning opportunities for my community to learn, learn from other running communities. How do you feel about that? Also just like the biggest mistake we can make when it comes to like supporting underrepresented community is be defensive or make excuses like worst thing you can do even though we're valuable Corinne, and like have good intentions um the most important thing that we could do is like validate that and just acknowledge the mistake and that we'll do better because that's what it's about it's not about making excuses you know ryan is such an incredible wealth of knowledge and i understand that is not his job to have to educate us, to have to educate race directors, to have to educate other people in the community. But I feel so very fortunate that we do have his voice and that he is willing to share with us so that we can become better allies, so that we can find our own personal ways to give back. And I'm wondering if, you know, listening to him talk us through that, if it changed either one of your perspective, as far as like, how, how do you think you can be of service in this community? How do you think that you, like, what is your role in getting us to that holistic community outcome? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Hill. No, I just think that the biggest, the biggest thing here is, um, and we've talked about this too, like on the podcast, like when we mess up, like we, we own it. Like we have a, like your help to the community to keep us accountable, but it's like willing to kind of make mistakes. Cause that's like how, how we can grow together. I think that's actually really important because there can be some like awkwardness about it. Like how do, how do you go? And then how do you go about it? But then I think the worst thing you can do is get defensive or just not do anything at all. Right. So not being afraid to make mistakes and then you know, learn from one another. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's really hard to not get defensive. I think I really consciously think about how to respond when I do mess up, but I think that even by doing so, I still do get a little bit defensive because I find myself justifying why I said a certain thing because clearly like none of us mean harm. Like we're not, we're not vengeful people. We're not out there trying to say things wrong, right. To get people to be upset with us or to, to make people feel offended. And so I think when I do offend somebody, I feel really sad and I want to defend that, but I think that's, that's just not the right way to go because you did offend somebody or you did do something wrong or you did mess up. And so I think just owning it, not getting defensive and just really working on, okay, well, what did I do wrong? How can I 
do better in the future, knowing that I'll probably mess up again, but like just being open to that feedback is, is so, so helpful. Um, because yeah, I think it's a lot harder than it, than it says, than it seems. Yeah. And I think that it made me think a lot about like subconscious or, or kind of subtly biased Mm -hmm. views I might have, or, you know, ways, ways I move through the world. Like I'm trying to be really critical. Like I have a critical eye as a, the editor in chief now with free trail stuff to make sure that, you know, we do, we do try to like not, not alienate anyone. Cause I don't think it's necessarily, it's not, it's not about offending people. It's about alienating people or maybe making people feel unwelcome or unsafe or, or unwanted. So I don't think it's necessarily about offending. I think it's about the actions that you take that make people feel bad about who they are or um, like we don't want them to be involved. And so just trying to be really, really conscious of that. And it's not, it's not easy. Like reflection is a really, really powerful, powerful thing. And I think that I'll be spending ample time doing it, moving forward with, with other projects, right? Writing projects, but things like, you know, working with free trail for Gorge Waterfalls in the spring, you know, what, what can we do as a community to make sure that events that we're involved with, um, you know, do more than the basics, right? Like I feel that way doing stuff for the UTMB org, like, man, we can't get the basics right half the time. Mm -hmm. And I say we only because like, I have an insider, insider line, like line of sight email, email chain that I can work off of, but you know, it's a lot of orgs have to get the basics right. And then continue to build. And I like that Ryan said that like, we, we, you know, we, as a community, oftentimes expect people to change immediately. Like you have to make this change right now, but change takes time. And I think that hearing that from Ryan was really meaningful and powerful being like, you're working on it. You're working towards it. Change takes time. Like it, that, that is okay. It is okay for change to take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like pulling back from an interview we did with Richard, with Richard Issa, if you guys haven't listened to that, we'll link to that one too. But I think it's like, if you don't acknowledge that it does require some time, then I think you're going to be very uninformed trying to make a solution come quickly. Whereas I think like right now, I think that my position in this, this world is to learn and to elevate voices that know more than myself. Right. And, and like give them the space to talk about these issues and learn from them and then start to implement them into my local smaller communities and like, let that, that foster it that way and not like, okay, I'm going to take this small little piece of information that I know I'm going to interpret it as like my privileged cis female self is <laughs> and you know implement it in a way that's probably not how it should be implemented and that's not fair and so yeah i think right now it's like a listen and learn and then implement once you learn not implement before you learn anything yeah he had that thing that he said earlier in the interview that was i was like i need this tattooed on my arm yep. he said uh the revolution is relational i think was was the word mm-hmm. there yep. being like the revolution is going to happen because of relationships, because of close-knit relationships and community initiatives, like, you know, grassroots type efforts. It's not, it's the revolution is not going to be these broad strokes, you know, huge, humongous things. It's going to be these little pieces of things that you can act on locally in your own communities. Um, I thought that was, that was so hopeful, like very hopeful and very powerful because man, I don't feel like I can have an impact on a big scale, but I do feel like I can have an impact, you know, within my, my little Seattle community. And then within my, my little 
trail society community and my little free trail community and my little trail and ultra, like ultra space community. And it's like, that's not, you know, it's global, but it's not global, you know, like it's, it, I think all of a sudden that gives us the like, oh, I can take a small step and a small step does lead to incremental change. And that to me was once again, that like glass half full perspective there for sure. And the best form of action, I think, is local communities, right? It might not feel like it's doing much work, but over time, it is really powerful. Yeah. I think to close it out, Ryan's brilliant. And we can kind of tease, we're going to be doing a number of interviews just like this, trying to center and elevate voices on specific topics that we we cannot speak to in any way, shape, or form. So that was my dog. She just woke up from a nap and shook her entire body off. Um, but that's what we're going to do. And we're really, really excited about what we have coming down the pipeline. So stay tuned. If you liked this um, interview, please let us know. Please let Ryan know. Reach out to him. Um, I know that means a lot to hear directly from the community as we all continue to learn together. Um, which brings us to Society Slam brought to you by Oring. I've got this fancy slaty black one because I lost my gold one and then I found it in a jacket pocket six months later and I'm gifting it to my brother's girlfriend and she is very very excited about it so yay or ring for all um what do we have what do we have society slam stuff going on uh maybe we I don't know if we cut this but like I have this long one but I don't know it's like it's pretty long um like it's I a didn't... question or it's a long statement? It's like a long statement. It's just, it's about um, just basically this woman. I wanted to share it, but it's like this woman sharing her experience. She was getting back into running and she like, she's from being pregnant and like talking about lack of um, places for her to pump or like people not being. Yeah. So... I got the same, the same. That message. one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I got that one, but I've gotten the like $400 room thing. And yeah, like, yeah. 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 I was going to read, I was going to say that one too, but you could just summarize it. Yeah, you could say like we, we've heard we've heard we could from both, you. We could both share it, Keely. Like both say that we both got this the same one. Um, I don't think I, I, didn't, I didn't know if we wanted to share the whole thing. Is what I was. Thinking. I don't think you need to share it even verbatim. I would just say that like we've heard from a, a number of individuals because we have about mm-hmm. about like access to like like in like specifically about parents at races yeah. and access to. Pumping and that kind yeah, of and being flexible in their mindset because I think it's like one of the glaringly obvious things that I got from her message, without having to iterate, reiterate the whole thing, is that like the race directors were unwilling to think differently about her situation than you know what they had planned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it really would have just taken a couple extra steps for all of right. these scenarios. Yeah, right. yeah. So it's just like thinking about the people that still pump, thinking about if you're giving them housing and you're making them stay with another roommate and they don't pump, then like, how is that going to make each other feel? Right, and like, right, just, right. just thinking of these little things, like and having maybe flexibility. Like all they had to plan. do is like, let that woman email the other woman. Like, yeah. why, why didn't they just like, I'm get sure that she would have been fine. Each other. Exactly. exactly. Yep. So wait, Keely, I mean, I'll, I'll just basically, I'll just say like, Hey, like Keely and I share a a society slam and then, cause you do a good job of summarizing it. (laughs) I don't want to go off like tangentially. Um, Um, I mean, I'm happy to do a different one if you want to do this one. No, we can. I think it's, I mean, I think it's an important one. Maybe like call for solutions or something. Like, do we want to discuss it or. I think just calling it out, like a little bit of discussion is always, is always helpful. Yeah. Okay. Who's taking it? 
Hilly, you oh. start. Uh, so, okay. So for my society, so I'm actually Keely and I are sharing one, uh, cause it's kind of a big topic. Um, but we both received a DM from, from one of our listeners of the, of the pod. And, um, yeah, she's had some interesting experiences with returning to running, um, with, after having a baby and access to pumping and, um, yeah, Keely, if you want to kind of summarize a few points we're just, we're just curious about, you know, potential solutions. Yeah. You know, I think, we all have a very positive association with women who are pregnant or postpartum and coming back into sport. And I think it's very easy to give them, you know, a high five and be like, wow, you are crushing it. And I think one of the quotes that stood out to me from this listener was that she said, I really hope that people will be more supportive of moms re-entering the sport in a truly useful way, instead of just high-fiving us and praising us for what we can do. And and I think this is really this is really obvious in her story about, you know, she's trying to enter races postpartum. And while she is entering these races, she's realizing that there's no option for childcare at a race if your partner is out of town for the weekend or your people who normally watch your child is out of town. And there's also no kind of like flexibility by race directors when, you know, they're confronted with a mom who is still uh, pumping and nursing their child and figuring out different ways to accommodate them that might be a little bit against the norm. And so I was kind of shocked to hear these nuances still where, you know, race directors are still kind of unwilling to adapt to these different needs that really wouldn't require much adaptation, right? It's more like being open to these ideas and really helping women after they're having a child, instead of just being like, wow, you know what? Good job. You got out there and you crushed it. It's like, okay, you know, they are getting out in there and crushing it, but are you able to help them at all? Are you able to make it easier for them in any small way? And it not only just acknowledge that they're out there, but also support them being out there. So it was a very interesting message. Yeah. Yeah. It like broke my heart a little bit, but it was like, yeah, no, no thought was given to mm -hmm. this person's experience. It was kind of like, nope, sorry, you don't fit the mold. Yeah. Bye. And it's like, you know, you know, a hundred percent that if, if the race director would just, if you would be open as a race director to, to link this person with some of the other racers, other racers or other volunteers would rally together to find a solution. Yeah. Or be like, Oh, like, are you part of our Facebook group or, or are you, are you like, what, like, why don't you put a post in there? Like there, there are community level solutions. And it's like, instead of writing this person off, like offering, offering an olive branch, you don't have to fix everything for totally. them, but to completely yeah. be like, well, sorry, like come back next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And That's it's like, she, she also horrible. like followed it up by saying that like, she recognizes that it was her choice to have a child and it's not clearly not other people's responsibility to shoulder that burden, but it would be nice if there was a little bit more flexibility in the system to, you know, adapt and accommodate those needs so that she was able to participate. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversation within like the Free Trail Pro Slack channel with a bunch of parents, um, single parents, um, traditional households, etc. And, you know, talking about like how like how cool childcare would have been for some of these parents, you know, allowing both of them to race on a weekend or allowing one of them to race on a weekend. Um, but also talking to parents who are behind the scenes now kind of working on this in their local communities. Again, that those grassroots initiatives, those making change that the whole revolution is relational component there. And just talking about how like, there's a ton of legwork. Like it's easy to say we demand childcare races. It's harder to say like, okay, how do we figure out the liability? How do we figure out the insurance? How do we figure out um, making this affordable, approachable and open for all? 
Um, like those things are not, once again, change is slow. And so I think that these are things that we will see at some races, particularly big races with bigger sponsors. I, I do think that we'll see some of these changes be put into place over the coming years, but it's like, there's a lot of like legwork that has to get done to, to hand a child off to another individual. So, um, but really, really interesting to hear from, from listeners, including this woman about their personal experiences, you know, trying, trying to continue to train, trying to continue to race, um, trail and ultra stuff, um, with, with a child like in tow. So mm-hmm. thanks for reaching out. It's been pretty cool to follow along. My society slam was, uh, I was walking my dog, um, towards the park. We we're going for a little walkie walk. I think I just gotten back from my first run ever. My first run walk back from the gym. And this woman comes by me on a gravel bike and I was like, she looks cool. And she stops and she whips off her glasses and she goes, are you Corinne? And I was like, yes. And she's like, oh, I listened to the podcast. Um, and she's like, and I recognized PD and I had seen you before. And I was like, I think that's Corinne, but I don't want to say anything. It's like on her commute route home. And she said, um, she was like, but you know, on the podcast, you're like, you guys are, we're real humans. Like say hi when you see us. And she's like, okay, they're a real human. I'm going to say hi. And if it's not Corinne, you know what? Maybe I'll make a new friend. Um, so it was really, really cool. Her name's Jen. I was really happy to meet her. Um, hopefully we're going to get to go ride bikes or run or something fun in the future. Um, but it was really just very, very cool to have, you know, to be walking my dog and have someone be like, hi, this might be embarrassing for both of us, but are you this person? (laughs) Um, so thanks. That made my day. It made my week. Um, so it was very, very cool. It's, uh, cool to know that you all are out there listening to us. Um, so thanks so much for giving us the shout outs in person and the shout outs in our DMS. Um, as always, please continue to slide into them. Give us your feedback. Let us know if you have questions. Um, we're really, really excited about the episodes we have coming out kind of all along the same theme, um, diversity, inclusion, opening the sport up, fixing our sports problems, et cetera, and so on. So um, if there's someone that you're really interested to hear from, shoot us a message. We'd love to hear kind of if there's someone in your community or someone that you think that would be um, a really wonderful interview. We are, we are ears and eyes and DM inboxes are open. But until next time, we'll see you out on the trail.